This is episode 100 of the True Success Podcast, the takeover interview. This is a really special episode for me. It's episode 100, and I was trying to release this last week. However, the family came down under some illnesses, uh, and I'm still a little congested today. I'm starting to break up and go away, but the difficulties of production and then the family coming down sick pose some challenges so we're about a week behind on this one but i think it's a really good show i asked ben colloy to come on the show and take over i gave him very little direction very little guidance there's no predetermined questions there was nothing like that of any sorts and i tried to be 100 transparent and vulnerable and i think he did a wonderful job and there's probably not too much that me and Ben have not talked about over the last three or four years as we've been friends. And I couldn't think of a better guy to do the takeover interview, episode 100, as the host than Ben, because he's the guy who encouraged me to get into podcasting several years ago at the Military Influencer Conference uh, when it was held in Washington, D.C. And I left that weekend knowing that I was going to start a podcast. And Ben's been there to support me along the way ever since then, and I've been there to support him. And this has been a really great opportunity. We've had some really good conversations, and I think this one was well overdue. So without further ado, let's get started. I'm Kirby Ingalls, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life full of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. It's my hope to inspire you to begin creating a new narrative, revolutionizing the way we live and creating a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. Well, I am speaking to Kirby Ingalls, and you know Kirby Ingalls because he is the host of the podcast that you're listening to, the True Success Podcast. And you might not know this. I think we talked about it on the podcast where I was on it. But my name is Ben Cloy, and I am the guy that helped Kirby believe needed to do this podcast. And so what better way than the guy that kind of pressured him into why should I have a podcast to invite back to do episode 100. So I'm really appreciative that you invited me to be the host of this episode for you, Kirby, and to turn the tables onto you and ask you some hard questions. But I really appreciate your friendship. I really appreciate what you've been for me in my life. And I'm excited to do the same thing for you on episode 100 of the True Success Podcast. Well, Ben, thank you for having me on my show. I, I do appreciate that. Um, and I, it's just been, it's been fun. I, uh, these last few, what, few years, I think it has been um, since the moment we met um, with, uh, you know, Chris, uh, with, uh, you know, the the veterans training and coaching, uh, his company over there. And, uh, you know, just, just having that, you know, that relationship there and then just the, meeting you at the military veterans conference and you embracing me for the very first time with the, the biggest bear hug that I think I've ever felt in my life. And I think I've become a hugger after that. 
And, uh, you know, just I do know, remember you like, weren't a hugger before that. I do like yeah. I consciously remember like I don't hug yeah. other men. Yeah. And then after that, you know, it's just been, you know, we've kind of kept touch base over the, you know, that, that time frame, And, uh, you know, it's just been extremely valuable. And uh, I can't express my gratitude for your friendship, too. I mean, some days, you know, what we do here is kind of lonely. And especially when we got the kids running around and, you know, you just have somebody to reach out to and just have that conversation uh, because I found out in this business uh, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, when you reach out for people, they usually want something in return, right? You know, it's they want a, a form of payment or something. And just to have someone that's just, you know, on the same level with you and you can just pitch ideas back and forth and create bonds and friendship and fellowship over so, so uh, I had no idea where I was going to go with the first question, but it just kind of hit me that the four hardest words that a man has to admit, and it comes from those moments where you ask for help, is when you say, I'm not okay. And so I think yeah. I want that to be my first question. Take us to probably, if I were to take a guess, it was probably year eight of your army service mm -hmm. where you started to kind of wake up. So take yeah. me to a time in your life where you first had to say, mm -hmm. I'm not okay. Yeah, that would be the divorce. Um, you know, I was probably uh, a year into my marriage, and I realized that I'd made a horrible mistake. Um, and I didn't believe that at first. But inside of me, I knew I was like, uh, you just did the dumbest thing in the world. Uh, you are not prepared for this. You're not ready to be a man. You are not ready to be a father. Uh, even though I didn't want to admit those things, looking back now, hindsight's 2020, I realized that. And I stuck with it for seven years. I fought. I, uh, I did not want, I did not want to repeat my grandparents and my mother's mistakes. You know, my mother was married and divorced three times. Um, it's one guy twice, actually. And uh, my grandfather got divorced. And uh, I was like, this is not going to be me. And I, and I stuck with it. Um, blind going through the whole thing uh, didn't have a lot of mentorship fellowship through that process brought a child into the world and um got to a point you know where i was like i'm not okay and uh I, we left uh and i i you know i i just got to a point where i was like i, I gotta go um and i left and uh it wasn't until i was just sitting there and i came back to the house a few days later and everything in the house was gone they were gone. Everything was gone. And I was sitting outside and I called my boss and I was about ready to break down and freak out. Uh, my grandfather had just passed away six months prior to that. And I just had this huge sense of loss in my life. Um, and I still hadn't been okay after coming back to my rack and knowing all the people that I knew had lost their lives. And I just wasn't processing and dealing with any of that stuff. And at that moment, I was like, I'm not okay. And I got to fix myself. And I can't help anybody else at this point until I figure out me and who I am. And I started down that road. I didn't ask for help at the time, but you know, that help came later. But it was like, okay, something's wrong here. And I need to figure this out. Take me to the moment when you had to navigate the fear, because I can imagine not having a dad growing up, not having a model of how a healthy relationship could be, knowing that the one that you were trying to build just went away. The fear of like the unknown was probably extremely overwhelming. How did you find the courage to take those first few steps? Uh, I was pissed. It was anger. 
in rage. That that's that's what that what's kicked it off for me. And that tends to be a symptom of growing up without a father is you have a lot of anger and rage that you're not able to process, and it just builds up until it goes off like a volcano. Um, and so that's what it was. And then when I get mad, right? I mean, if somebody throws a gauntlet down and challenges me and pushes me, uh, that's when um, I'm all in. I'm committed. I'm on 100% the way going forward, uh, regardless of the risk and the circumstances. It's uh, if you were to, and I've done this before, so I took an online training course one time and they said, what is your trader risk profile? And mine was high risk. So that kind of tells you a little bit about me. I have no problem with risk uh, because I know the reward's great, but uh, that's that that's that's what it usually happens is is that point of no return, and I just completely commit. Um, it's just like uh, I guess Tony Robbins says, you know, when Cortez came over to the Americas, and you know he didn't want that opportunity to go back, so he said, "Burn the ships. We're going to do this, or we're going to die." So. <laughs> I love that analogy as I'm thinking about you not thinking about going back, but I'm also thinking in your head, like, what was that early process? Like, what, like if someone is listening to this, maybe not knowing this part of your story, what was that early process that you had to learn the extreme hard way of letting go of your fucking anger, mm -hmm. letting go of that, that uh, emotion, but then also learning how to go through it and actually probably for the first time, even figure out what the hell does actually living look like? Yeah, that was, that was the hardest part. Right. Um, I, I thought something was missing uh, and I didn't know what it was. And my gut was telling me it was my faith. Uh, Cause I really didn't have any faith at the time. I never really was raised with any faith. Um, Might've went to a Methodist church for a couple of years when I was in my young teenage years. Um, but purpose and meaning really didn't register for me. Uh, and I was just going through life uh, and I realized this, I was just going through life's motions. And that was the one thing that I probably asked myself a lot during that, that time frame, that seven years. And I'm like, is this what it's all about? You just go through the motions. Do we just, you know, Hey, this is, this isn't working out and just, just keep doing it and just people just stay together and just remain unhappy for 30, 40, 50 years until they die. And you just go to work every day and come home and, you know, watch TV and just do all this stuff. And I really didn't, you know, at the time I didn't have any purpose. Military was my purpose, right? I mean, work, work ethic, you know, making money was, you know, that thing, those promotions, you know, that's, I was, I was just trying to climb that ladder and, but I didn't know what I was chasing or climbing. I was just like, this is just the way life's supposed to be. And uh, there was no, I didn't really have any passions at the time. And a lot of that, for some reason, I just got, I don't know. I don't know how I got lost. You know, I had dreams when I was a kid, but they're somewhere along the way. And I haven't really figured out where out along the way where I just kind of went, just drifted off and I was lost and searching in the darkness. An interesting word popped in my head as you were describing that, that you also had to relearn, probably maybe also for the first time, how to trust yourself. Yeah. And I'm curious, what did that process look like the second time around when you started a family? Like, what made you think, like, you're not going to fuck it up again? Well, I didn't, I didn't know that I would or not. I knew, though, that I wasn't meant to be alone. And I knew that I wanted to have a large family. 
And that didn't work in my previous marriage. Um, and that probably wasn't ever going to work in my other marriage because we weren't able to have children. You know, we had a lot of challenges. Uh, and that wasn't a part of the deal. Um, but uh, why I left, but, you know, there was much more important things. I'm not that shallow, um, even though, you know, I had issues back then, but that wasn't the reason why. And, um, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And at first, you know, the first few months I was like, Hey, this is fun. This is free. You know, I'm running around doing my thing, acting like a knucklehead as a bachelor. And then, um, you know, I met my wife, you know, and it, it wasn't long afterwards. Right. Um, and there was just something completely different about her, her nature, her nurturing, you know, her, our conversations. And we were probably together for three weeks or not three. I'm sorry. Let me correct that three years before we got married. Um, and so we had this development right um, together and we did a lot of things together for the first time for each of us because we were both kind of in the same place so we were kind of like partners in this journey of you know moving forward through life together because we had some similarities and uh, my previous marriage I was I only we were only together for a month before we knew we were getting married and so uh, huge differences right um, and again, I take risks. So trust really wasn't a factor. Uh, sometimes I would say that I'm probably guilty of blind trust. So what about, there's two things that I often say a man is missing in his life and that's width. Mm -hmm. We don't have a wide enough view and depth. I'm really interested. Take me to the moment you pulled out the shovel and started digging in your own life. And mm -hmm. what were some of those first few pieces of value? Because you are, have a deep hole <laughs> that understanding that that's where it came from is not something like you'd almost believe if you heard your story in the beginning and knowing and having a conversation with you now, it's like, man, did this man dig a deep well? What was that first yeah. like pile of dirt that you started digging out? I think I had to climb out of the pit first before I actually could dig my own hole. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Uh, I think most of us find ourselves in a pit, right? And that's where I found myself and I had to climb out. Um, but what I did, you know, and part of that process was, and, you know, you talk about shoveling and digging. So it's just kind of reversing that. Um, I, you know, during that time frame, I had a serious back injury. Um, I had a C6, C7, two herniated disc, uh, disc deterioration going all the way down my spine, calcium buildup in my lower back. And I had multiple injections, epidural steroids, you know, just tons of stuff, physical therapy, uh, chewing ibuprofen, like their Tic Tacs, uh, you know, I, it was, it was miserable. And I was at a surgeon and he said, Kirby, if you don't stop and slow down, you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 70. And I walked away and that kind of made me, my eyes open up a little bit. And then I walked away and on my drive home, I said, you know what? I was like, forget it. Uh, I'm, and this is where that risk comes in. So if I'm going to be in a wheelchair by the time I'm 70, I'm just going to empty out my bucket list. Life's too short. I'm going to live it to the fullest. And one of the first things on there was, what, what do I want to do? And I never really sat down and said, what do I want to do and achieve in life? I was just moving through. And so I want to run a marathon. I've never done that. A lot of people do it. I'm going to do that. And so I, you know, just said, look, when I got home, I got on the internet and looked it up and said, oh, there's no 5k races because I knew I had to start small and go big. And, uh, you know, there's a 10k. So I said, okay, let me go do the 10k. And it was here in Kansas city where I'm at now. This is you know, over a decade ago. And I went there and I finished third in my age group. 
And I was like, wow, there's something here, you know? And the next weekend I went and ran a 5k third in my age group. And then I, you know, ran this racing circuit, joined it, you know, I started feeling better, you know, my body was doing a lot better, you know, that mobility and movement running was doing really good for me. And to a point to where, you know, I was kind of repairing my body with Tai Chi swimming, you know, I was just, you know, cycling, you know, I was just doing all kinds of things, right. To become stronger physically, um, and to strengthen my body. And eventually I was just being very successful in the running and that, right. And I'm leading this story up to a moment where, uh, I finished third or I'm, I finished first in my age group for that whole racing circuit. Right. I just outpointed, it was like a NASCAR style system and I outpointed everybody and, you know, had durability. I showed up to all the races while some people just didn't show up to all of them. And like I said, I outpointed them. And then there's this thing called a chili run and I showed up and there was this group that was, you know, participating with them, the group that I was with, uh, called the trail nerds. And that's where I met a bunch of people, um, people that ran on the trail. And I said, what's, I'm curious about this trail running thing. And I began to look it up and it's good for your back. It's your knees, your legs, you know, it makes you stronger. Um, it's shorter choppy steps, which is better for you anyway. And the ground's a lot softer, uh, than running on the road. And so it's, there's so many different benefits I could list. And it was when I got out there in the, in, in the wood line, right. When I was out there running on the trails, whether it be solo with or a group of people, uh, when I ran with a group of people, I was kind of able to uh, express myself, right. You know, you could express yourself running through the trails aggressively, slowly, you know, uh, you can kind of get lost in, in that environment. And I could verbalize my, you know, what I was feeling with my, those folks that I was running with, uh, we were all going through something and we were able to share in that process. And plus the endorphins were good for us. But then when I would run solo, right, I would run 10, 20, you know, 15 miles or whatever by myself through those woods, I would almost like, it's like a meditative process. I would just get lost. Right. And I'd be gone for three or four hours and um, running through these trails, you know, just the bends and the poles, you know, and just naturally feeling the terrain. Uh, I just kind of got lost in myself out there. And I think that's where a lot of the repairing and healing and processing started to happen for me. Um, and I started to figure out who I was and I started walking away after each one of those runs coming back with a, you know, a, a deeper appreciation of the world and what was going on around me. And it actually cleared my head a lot. And then I was able to say, okay, you know, once I got that clearance, you know, from all my headspace, I was able to kind of begin to just focus on things that I wanted to achieve and tackle at that point. And that's eventually at that point, I met my wife at the time and we started dating. So what I heard in that, and I think it relates to my story when I first went into the woods camping in 2020 is you're reminded of the abundance of life. Yeah. When you face battles in your head, it feels like the world doesn't exist. And also when you stay in man-made buildings, either your home, your work, your cars, you're not reminded of life because none of that's life. It's just death and it's just there. But when you go into a place of living like the forest, you almost, you can get outside your head and realize this isn't just about me anymore. Mm -hmm. And it has that like invitation that God sets up for us every day to go out into the woods and experience it. But we often forget that. And if we've never even understood how that feeling and why it's important to go Mm -hmm. into nature, we don't really understand how to, what comes to mind is kind of accessing the bearings on our compass mm-hmm. that maybe like when you're inside your own man-made hell inside your head, the compass is just spinning around and around. 
and it takes that direction that you can get in the woods to really like see the cl- cl- the clouds part, see that some direction, or have a conversation with someone out there that you wouldn't have met any other way. Mm-hmm. But it's really only when we experience life that's when the universe shows up and gives us the next step of like, oh, this is where you go. You're listening to the True Success Podcast with Kirby Ingalls. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You know, it's kind of interesting you say that because, you know, I went through that process and I didn't realize it was very intentional. I mean, I was doing it, but I wasn't being that intentional about it. It was kind of just following the breadcrumbs at that point of the things that was helping me get to a better place. And uh, what, three or four years ago, I read, well, maybe a little bit longer than that ago, but I read this book on Audible. Um, I started listening to a lot of audio books while I was running and stuff, and it was called The Three-Day Effect. And it was about a process of being out in the woods for three days without technology, without anything, just relying on yourself and just what you brought as far as equipment and stuff goes, going pretty much primitive. Uh, and there's a few different stories in there, a group of veterans who went down whitewater rafting who had severe PTSD, uh, a group of women who had been human trafficking that were hiking in the Appalachian Mountains, and a, another group of folks um, who had different, you know, different things. But what they, at the end of the book, you know, they took these people out, they took their vital signs, did some testing before they started, took everything away from them, uh, and allowed them to kind of reconnect, right, reconnect with the world uh, while they're out there and just be in their own thoughts and processes and rely upon each other. And then after the fact, like there was huge health benefits. And most of those folks after they left began doing those things, incorporating that type of uh, solitude into their own lives where they could reconnect, right? Whether it be meditation or yoga or going to the park or, you know, whatever it is, they found something, right? Uh, they could take away from that. And they just, you know, they just, became a different version of themselves and it was almost like they leveled up three or four levels at that point uh it was huge and so that kind of validated what i went through because i was reading that book i was like that sounds a lot like what happened to me you know and so uh, and that's something that i want to actually do later on so you hit on two words reconnecting life and so the question I want to lead to next is when you came back and kind of like we're on the other side of this experience, trail running, you had opened yourself up to experience of life, letting some stuff go, mm-hmm. making more room for new things. Yeah. What kind of felt the like what you were now able to go do and see once you decided to go reconnect with the world? Because this is kind of one of those moments where your true success got its first direction. That's yeah. what I kind of take away. Like, mm-hmm. you're, like true success isn't like, this massive big thesis statement or a book that you write, it's those moments where you get a bearing to head towards. And that's what true success looks like in that yeah. season. So what did that first like bearing look like? Yeah, for me, it was it was actually another um, really hard moment in life. Um, you know, I, 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 I kind of got to a, a place of normal, right? You know, 
I, I tell a lot of folks in coaching, there's a big difference between coaching, counseling, and mentoring, right? And I tell them there's a scale, right? From negative 10 to positive 10. Counseling tends to work on the negative side of that, that, that scale. Coaching tends to work on the positive side of that scale. Um, and I have a lot of experience in, in positive psychology right now. And that was after all this has happened. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the, it, I was in that negative side and I'd gotten myself back to zero, right? I was, I was at a reset moment, right? Where I could begin to do anything. And I, I went over to uh, Washington, DC, where I was part of the old garden, um, was doing very well over there. Uh, Arlington Cemetery is just a place that uh, if you don't know why you're serving, you know, you figure that out. So there was another purpose and meaning moment for me while I was there doing that, you know, um, you know, uh, paying our respects to our service members, um, putting the flags in all the graves every Memorial Day, doing the Veterans Day ceremonies at the Tomb of the Unknown, being around the U.S. Army drill team, the president's escort to the United States, you know, all those, you know, wonderful organizations, um, doing ramp ceremonies at Dover Air Force Base. Um, you know, that really kind of gave me a new sense of patriotism, purpose, and meaning. And that was really good. And I got an opportunity to serve as a sexual assault response coordinator. And I did not want to do that job. Um, I was probably the last person in the world that they wanted to do that job. Um, and I didn't really feel like I was a good person at that time. And I had done a lot of things in my past that I was not proud of. Um, and you just wouldn't want someone like me in there doing that. Right. I, you know, and the guy was like, well, we need some guys we like can... me. Don't do things yeah. like that. Yeah. And he was like, you know, and the guy came to me, he's like, Hey, I really need somebody we can trust. You know, you've been a first sergeant over here for a long time. I just need you to stay for two years. And I only had one year left. And he's like, I just need an extra year up. And I was like, it's like only if you guarantee me, you can get me and my wife back as close to Kansas city as possible because I want to retire. And my wife's just struggling out here in DC. Um, no friends, no family, uh, the big city life just isn't going to work out for us and uh we'll make the sacrifice for two years if you can promise and he's like okay i'll, I'll do everything i can to my power and i was like okay and so this verbal agreement right there's no contracts there's just verbal agreement so um and uh so i said okay i'll do this job and i've been doing the job for about six months you know and you know at first I was just going through the motions, you know, this is my job. I'm in the army, you know, this is what we do. I'm checking the blocks, you know, and, um, it's just, I, you know, it, I'd already come to faith, right. I'd been baptized a couple years prior, uh, about two and a half, three years prior. And, um, I was attending church and, you know, I was like, okay, what's the next level here. And I felt something really calling me, you know, to dig deeper, and I still kind of felt shovel. like, Go yeah, the shovel to an excavator. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just, I felt like there was just something still missing, right. To this puzzle piece that of, of my life. And I grew up without a father and I was like, you know, I was like, I, I gotta know. I've, I've never asked the question and I just need to know what happened, you know, and we're, what, what's going on. Why does my mom know anything? Do I want to go meet this guy? Maybe I don't want to go meet this guy, you know, let, so I just began to explore, right. You know, and, I, I wrote, I, and I didn't know how to have that conversation with my mother. Right. It was a verbal, I didn't, I didn't want to talk to her about it. I like, it was that hard. Right. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write her a letter. And I wrote her a letter and, you know, it was like a page or two and uh, I sent it to her. And actually I, I have, it took her about three months to write me back. 
and uh I, I still have the letter with me um it's here in my office put away but uh and i've shared this story with countless people but she said hey you know she told me her story growing up and you know where she was at in a place and uh, uh after she graduated high school she went to a party and uh, there was drugs and alcohol there and she was participating in the next thing you know she blacked out and woke up and she had been sexually assaulted and uh, a few months later here comes kirby um and she was scared and afraid and she lied to her parents about what happened and they thought she was a slut and a whore and called her a bunch of names and um you know uh didn't talk to her ostracized her um you know she was the black sheep uh and then the day it came to uh uh delivering me she said um she went in and told her mom said hey uh, you know it's time to go to the hospital and her mom didn't say a word to her got up drove her to the hospital which is 45 minutes away by the way my mom didn't live in a town where there was any resources uh it was a town of 8,000 people that was down to about 250 400 um at that time um it's just it was an old coal mining town that just fell apart at some point um but she drove her to the hospital, didn't even get out in the car to help her out in the emergency room, right? Just said, here you go. My mom got out by herself, walked in by herself at 19 years old, pregnant. Um, you talk about uncertainty and unknown. You're about to deliver a child and you have no resources and no support. And uh, uh, and you, you just don't know, you know, your life is just beginning at 19, right? And uh, and she went in and she, she had, she delivered me. And uh, what we, I did not know, and what she didn't know at the time was my grandfather was actually sitting right outside the waiting room, waiting. And uh, what happened was, was my grandmother drove 45 minutes back home and he was up with his coffee, ready to go, got in the car when she got there and drove back. And he said, you know, basically when he came in and my mom saw him, he said, I realized that my grandson needs somebody there in his life, you know, to help him grow. And uh, I'm not going to let, you know, anything in the past get in the way of me being there for my first grandson because I was his first. And so, uh, you know, he pushed all that stuff to the side. And uh, when she told me that, right, um, I'll be honest with you, I probably cried for about uh, reading the letter. I probably cried for about a good 45 minutes, um, not because of what happened right to me, but, you know, just knowing how it all started. And having a greater appreciation for my mother, you know, the process that we had gone through for 33 years, you know, because at the time I was about 33, 34 years old. And uh, life took on a whole new purpose in me. And that day, I promise this is, you know, I will, I will do something about this. I was like, you know, and, and as like, God was like, moving me through life and i had not even known it right and i'm like i'm a sexual assault response coordinator and this is what happened to my mother i had no idea that i took this job and i didn't even know that um and so that story were you uniquely yeah. qualified to yeah to be no idea person. right and so uh i i was when i became an instructor for the army i began to tell that story i was i had no idea you don't know who's to your left and to your right and the things that we say you know, we don't know what people have gone through. And that's huge for me because most people look at me and not even know or understand that. Um, the challenging childhood that I grew up with, you know, and, and the things that I went through. But, you know, it wasn't about all that. It was just like, wow, my mother is one hell of a strong person. And nobody really gave her an edge. She had to work and claw and fight for everything. And 
she did one of the, the most extraordinary things. One of the most heroic things you can do is bring a child into this world and not know where the next meal's coming from, you know? And uh, that was huge for me. Um, and just to overcome the trauma that she probably had to go through. Um, and she's told me, she's like, I don't, I don't know. I blacked out. I have no idea who your father is. And so I'll never know. And so, well, it's not my, I mean, I could say it's my sad story, but I don't really see it as a sad story. Um, and that's when I got I into it as a rich story. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Most people say, oh, that's a sad people. story. Yeah. And so I, that's when I got into the resilience thing. And I was like, then I read books like super better from Jay McGonigal about super better being post-traumatic stress growth. And I was like, I'm going to embrace this thing. And then I got into narrative therapy and I started studying that and helping people rewrite their stories rather than it's this sad, sad story to, this is a story of power, strength, courage, resilience, you know, overcoming obstacles and barriers to be the hero of your own story. And uh, I think that's what I love about it now is because, you know, I don't tell my story to the people I work with, but I'm able to take those things that I've learned that process and tap into them and show them, you know, like, you know, someone that they're, they're afraid, you know? Um, and, you know, I take a tiny little bit of what I know and say, why would they hire you if they didn't think that you had it in you? Right. You know, and I'd show them what they're not seeing in themselves because they have a lot of anxiety and worry and things like that. You know, people getting ready to come up against some challenging moments. And well, there's a reason why they're working on you. There's a reason why they're working with you. There's a reason why you're here. And I just have to continuously remind them and kind of give them that little boost of confidence. Um, it's it's fun. I, I love it. I love seeing people come back later and say, you know, you're right. You know, I never looked at that because we're working at the negative. And I'm the guy who gets to point out the positive things out of all this because I've gone through that. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the it's the the most rewarding part of coaching is especially reframing because you're literally taking something that's dragging them and holding them back and cutting that chain and installing a jetpack mm -hmm. and running yeah. off the same fuel. It's the same kind of pain, mm -hmm. but instead of holding you back, it pushes you forward. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel There's like a question that, that I. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead. There's a question I want to ask you that I always kind of it, it identifies something like a hard lesson that we need to learn for like a, someone just getting started. So I'm interested to see, and you, knowing how deep you are and a man of faith, I don't think you're going to struggle with this, but I'm really interested to see what the answer is. What do you think God was trying to teach you in your life that you struggled to learn the hard, the easy way and had to learn the hard way? You know, it's that's a good question. Um, I haven't. You know, I haven't thought about what he was trying to teach me as far as what he was trying to show me. Or accept. Maybe acceptance you know, well, was in front of you. And it just came to me after I said that. Um, and uh, what he was trying to teach me. And uh, you are good enough. You do have what it takes. And that's 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 what it was. Because my whole life, I just grew up. I'm, I was probably a pretty introverted kid i looked up to older boys i ran with the wrong crowd i did a lot of drugs and alcohol and things like that before the age of 16 i mean and not I, having a dad there's always a story of not yeah. being wanted yeah. where you feel I, like someone failed like on you and like yeah i had two stepdads like my my the guy that i actually called dad uh or my father uh was around for about seven eight years before my parents got divorced and there's just a lot of things that happened after that um he made a lot of horrible mistakes and uh he's my stepdad but i don't know um 
and there's a lot of things that we still have to work out and deal with, you know, uh, as far as two people go and uh, sit down and have some more conversations. But, you know, there's some things that were just done. And I just was like, you know, why well, doesn't want anybody want me? And then I had a stepdad and that was great. You know, my mom got remarried and we had a honeymoon for about a year and my mom had another more babies and things changed and I didn't exist anymore. And I ran around the woods by myself alone, um, you know, trying to figure out life. I didn't really feel like I was accepted well at school unless, you know, I hit a home run on the baseball field or, you know, I pole vaulted, you know, to a new height and track, you know, or, or, you know, but that was it. Otherwise I was that kid from the other side of the tracks, you know, that guy over there, you know, um, and, uh, you know what I, I just, just had this, uh, never felt accepted mm-hmm. is before you started running, it was almost mm-hmm. like you were running away from life because you yeah. didn't feel capable or even like that you should mm-hmm. ha- be able to have that feeling Yeah, and you learning to run learning to run in that trail in the woods was running towards like it. flipping that running towards life yeah. and letting it experience and yeah. shape you mm-hmm. and understand how it was happening for you and not to you. And it was that pivotal moment where instead of like your true failure in life being what you were running from, it became your true success with what you were running towards. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're 100% right. I've written that in some of the things um, that I've put on the blog and other websites and other things like that is a lot of times I was just running from the bad, right? Um, and then I just kind of turned around and ran towards it head on because those obstacles, if you like running on holiday, uh, obstacle is the way. And if we don't deal with those, they're always going to be there. And so I just ran towards it and began to deal with those things that were happening and got them out of my way. You know, I mean, I might not have removed the obstacle, but at least I tackled it. I addressed it and I'm done with it now, you know? Um, and sometimes those are people and I can't control the other person. I can only control what I did. And if I have put, you know, my time and energy into it and I've done the best that I could, then it's time to move on, you know, and let go. Uh, and that's, that's what I did. Uh, for the most part, I realized a lot faster, like when it's time to let go of things, you know, and just quit trying to pursue them and beat my head up against the wall. So just let it go. Frozen. I always say it. Frozen does have the best advice. <laughs> it does. And it it let flies it go, over Luke. everybody as well. Yeah. Like no my one daughter has slows the same down thing. to hear that. Yeah. 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 Let it go. That's a perfect song. I've actually used that too. in in an article, like my daughter taught me, you know, cause she was like, let it go, let it go. And I'm like, okay, yep. That's frozen. She's telling me something. Yeah. So let's go to a different area. You're a man that is a ferocious reader. You're a man that reads a lot of really insightful things. Yeah. What it recently has surprised you that even for a man that has learned as much as you know, you're like, wow, that's really cool. I'd say it's probably, um, it was the last book that I read, um, or at least for a podcast, let me say. And, you know, I usually, if, I, if somebody comes on the podcast or author, I usually try to read their books. Um, you know, it's whiskey and yoga. Uh, I have this 
you know, love for whiskey. And, uh, you know, before I said, you know, I drank a lot when I was a kid and I've learned to kind of control that and suppress some of those demons and stuff like that, but just really enjoy it now. I've learned to love to just the chemistry with it and the flavors and the aromas and what's in it and what's out of it and just really appreciate the art and craft of it, which is a completely different process for me now. Um, and uh, I, I began doing some yoga about a year ago, you know, to kind of help with mobility and flexibility because of my back and things like that. And some of the injuries that I've sustained throughout the military and uh, you know, yoga is really an awesome meditative exercise and process, which has a lot of benefits. And then I ran across that book, whiskey and yoga. And I began to read it thinking like, there's just going to be, um, you know, it's all going to be about whiskey and it's always going to be about, but it was a book about purpose and meaning. Um, you know, it was about the spirits of life and then these other spirits. And they have this, these similarities and, uh, this, and it's this journey, right? He talks about the journey of the spirits, but also the, your spirit and in the yoga process and the meditative journey and things like that. And just that spiritual piece and how they kind of run parallel. And I just really, really liked it. He was a Marine. Um, uh, and he had gotten out and, uh, it's kind of funny cause he's this tattooed Marine who does yoga and drinks whiskey. And, uh, he's kind of like, you know, the, the Marine that gives hugs named Bill Ben Coy, you know, it's just like, you are oxymorons, right? but we do yeah. exist. Yeah. And so it's like, it's funny, you know, and I'm like, this is, this is a real, really cool dude. And, uh, he had a lot of insightful things to talk about in there and, I found myself connecting with his story too. And I could, again, there's those parallels, you know, and I'm finding, and that's one of the things that I, somebody recently told me uh, when I do my facilitations and trainings is that they said, you have the ability to connect with people. Um, and I just take bits and pieces of information that people have told me. And I'm like, I can relate to that and have a conversation around that. And I think that comes really, really easy because I, you know, that goes back to the via character strengths survey where, you know, love of learning um, and curiosity and appreciation of beauty in the world are three of my top five serve me very, very well. And again, like I said before, as a kid, that never happened. And so it's almost like, um, almost like you get drunk on people. Um, and their stories and the ability to connect with them and how that I, I, you know, just reading tribes, you know, another book you said, you know, you were asking by Sebastian Younger. And that's a powerful book. I mean, extremely powerful book about human connection and, you know, coming together as a community. And it starts with Native American tribes through the Revolutionary War and the frontier times um, and how people would lead normal society back then. And go and hang out with the tribes and live with the tribes because of the, their community, you know, and it's so much better. Uh, you know, what happened at the, the, um, the bombing, you know, the, the blitzkrieg, you know, when England was bombed for like some like 66 days straight uh, and how people came together and the, the mental health and the, uh, the emotional regulation and all that stuff, you know, was more at a normal level. Um, and then when they, people weren't under adversity, suicide rates began to increase mental health issues began to increase but when the chips were down and they were being suppressed and there, there's challenges and obstacles and adversity to overcome which we learn in the military right because when you're in combat you come together like glue but then after that it's like we're not together anymore we leave we're spread apart you know we don't have that camaraderie anymore and those things begin to surface and so i've realized that people are extremely important to me um, and there are certain people that are really important to me and 
they are a huge crutch even today. Uh, even six months ago, I was struggling a little bit and a person came along and, you know, just was kind of a, you know, a crutch for me and just kind of gave me that psychological safe space to have a conversation. And, uh, you know, I just felt really appreciated and loved. And, you know, now we have this phenomenal relationship. So, you know, there was a conversation I was just having this morning that I've always struggled to fall in love with the Bible because I don't relate with 2000 years ago and yeah. I don't understand the meaning 2000 years ago because I see my life through today's eyes. And I often will also get mad when I read a book like what you read or really any book about someone's story that incorporates faith. And I'll learn more about the Bible through that story than mm -hmm. the Bible. And it's only when I connect something from the Bible, like a proverb or a phrase, and to mm -hmm. someone's story, do I fully understand its meaning. Mm -hmm. And it actually made me realize how, how much we forget within this idea of faith, that faith isn't just about reading the Bible and understanding mm -hmm. it and memorizing it. It's really about understanding its connection through the stories of your own life around you. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I believe, how the Bible was meant to be experienced is through other people's stories of how they connected with it, not for you memorizing it mm -hmm. and understanding all these stories and being able to quote it whenever you need to. It's really about how did you understand and see your connection to the original story? Like to me, that's like the invitation I've really felt like in the last year and a half is how is my story connected to the original story? But you don't see that unless you look through the lens of someone else's story. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very difficult to time travel back 2,000 years and be like, oh, man, that makes perfect sense to me. Because we suck at seeing our own stories, which is why we need mirrors and coaches in our life to do that, other people's stories have really moved me, like, to visibly see, like, there was meaning in that story that I couldn't see until I mm -hmm. saw someone else connect it to their story back to the Bible. And it's like... That's how we were meant to learn. And that's what it sounds like you as well. Like that's why that book resonated so deeply because yeah. it was one man's story connected to faith through the eyes of his own story. But then that mm -hmm. gave you the lens to look at your own story a little bit deeper. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things in there that I'm starting to pick up now too, as well. And I think that just comes with age, right? You know, um, and level of understanding. No, I'm not saying we're old. I don't really feel old. Age is really not a factor. I just say age is the measure of time, I guess. Uh, cause I still feel pretty young. Actually, I feel like I'm better than I was when I was about 30 years old. So, um, there's something about, you know, being in your forties, I guess, you know, um, you feel stronger, but, uh, you know, having I, five I, kids will also make you feel stronger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having those five children, you know, there's a lot of stories in there that I really resonate with today. And I am able, you know, you're reading to read at first. Right. And, I didn't always understand the application, but as I've done more research and deep diving and talked to other people and gained experiences, some of those things are starting to come to life now. And I'm starting to see things that I've never seen before. Uh, and it's much more than just a self-help book, right? It's, it's, a, it's a model to live by. And it's, you know, it's, it's really powerful because there's all these men and there's women in there as well um, that have, uh, and, you know, come, come through like, challenging times like phenomenal stories you know whether you believe in the miracles or not i mean there are stories about ordinary people right less than ordinary people and yeah you don't cases. need to believe in god to believe in the stories right. of man two thousand years ago we all say jesus existed so yeah whether you yeah. believe in the miracles he's he the most matter. influential man in the world right 
I mean, you, there's no, hands down, nobody can die. The most influential man in the world that's ever to live. And, uh, you know, if you go, even to go back to the Old Testament, there's just so many challenges and obstacles. I mean, there's stories about human trafficking in there, you know, and that slavery and, you know, people being suppressed. And I read stories like that and I see people suppressed today. And, you know, and I'm just like, nothing has really changed in this world. You know, we still, still suffer sinful. from the same, um, yeah. human, like even reading stoicism, there's times where you're reading that stuff and you're like, you, if you didn't know it was 3000 years ago, you wouldn't yeah. be able to tell. And it, it yeah. speaks to the illusion of the human condition mm-hmm. and that society will dress it up with consumerism, that those things will, will cure what ails you, mm-hmm. but you can't cure what is an, an instinctive human condition mm-hmm. of self-suffering, but then also self-discovery mm-hmm. and most importantly, connection, because that's the the tribal component that we've really tried to pull away from. And but it was one where it was the fabric that wove us and got us to where we are today. But yet it could be the undoing if people don't understand how we were never designed as humans to do life alone. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like the stories where people are running from God, you know, I mean, the prodigal son, you know, um, two brothers fighting, you know, Abel and Cain, you know, just I can... And a lot of times now well, my kids, right, they do something and then I'm able to kind of now I'm all I'm able to kind of like, hey, you remember that story we read about a week ago or two weeks ago? You remember that story about the, the guy that was the farmer and, you know, he he, you know, didn't give up his best crops, but the other son gave up his very best, you know, and remember that? And then we'll, I'll connect it to that story and they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get it right. They get it um you know one of the ones my favorite ones and it's something i have a lot of hope and optimism is is, you know i don't have a great relationship with my eight-year-old right now um and uh it's a prodigal son and it's just to have hope and faith and confidence that you know he'll come home one day and you know we'll get back to the way things are and you know and i also think about that too is like are the other kids going to be jealous that i've opened my door up and you know swung it open and embrace my son you know after being gone all these years and uh you know what's that going to be like you know and you know that's an example that i need to live by you know say this is your brother right we all go through our own journeys together we all have our trials and tribulations your father had that same thing where he had his own journey and he was isolated for a long time and he didn't want nothing to do with anybody else you know and he had to do this on his own his way and find his path and eventually they find their way home you know, I mean, and, you know, like and I said, father, it's, it's important yeah. just to kind of keep the door open, like, because yeah, right. it's never too late to establish yeah. a relationship. And yeah. and yours, it was too late. Not necessarily yeah. that there ever was a, a moment where it would have happened, but yeah. like, it's just knowing you're not going to happen. And now knowing allows yeah. you to yeah. almost connect with other father like men yeah. and be also there's a relationship that I didn't again, I didn't know this until I read Becoming a King by Morgan Schneider, that we're all sons of the original father. So we all are brothers in Mm -hmm. life. And even just remembering that, like that in itself is an invitation of finding an alternate way to a father um, through the people around you. It's, it's, again, if it comes through other people's stories, I understand my story Mm -hmm. and its relation to it. And I can really see it in your life Mm -hmm. that your kids are set up to, to model what your life has been but not necessarily maybe understand every piece of wisdom that dad said, yeah. they're going to have a moment well beyond your time here on earth where they're going to have a capacity 
to say what would dad do because of how mm-hmm. you connected into their life and understood. Yep. And to me, yep. like that's the yeah. the core part of being a dad is creating a connection that your memories and, and wisdom isn't just seated while you're here on earth, that you have left the capacity within them to tap into your stories, understand who mm-hmm. you were, understand where you went, and understand the beliefs that you use to get there so that when they get struggling, they can be like, what would dad do in this situation? But they can't yeah. do that unless they know dad. Yeah. And that applies to God as your father or whether you actually uh-huh. have a father. What would dad yeah. do in this type of situation? And to me, those are the most influential words yeah. that we can hope to help our kids uh, lead with as they go forward into adulthood. I think uh, I think you bring something up that's really good there. And uh, I have something that uh, I'll add. And, you know, kids that grow up with a father um, and they become fathers, sometimes I don't think they, you know, you don't really know what you have right until you just don't have it. Right. And so growing up without a father my whole life, uh, you know, having some stepdads that were there, but not involved, uh, probably could give two craps about, you know, where I was at or what happened to me. Um, at least none of them have reached out and asked me how I'm doing, you know, decades later. (laughs) So that just tells you, you know, reaching out and, you know, asking is, is just really the first step, but, you know, knowing that and, you know, knowing that, you know, I mean, obviously being in the army, you know, for 26 and a half years and knowing all that and knowing, you know, the loss of life and just, just the sheer, um, um, mourning and, and loss that I have gone through. Uh, one of the things that I've done is, and, and this is kind of taking a biblical perspective is, is those men in the Bible wrote down their scriptures, wrote down the things that happened to them in their lives. They recorded those and the lessons that they were learning, um, the lessons that the things that they thought God was sharing with them, right? And, and you know, what he was teaching them throughout this process. And so I've begun the same thing. Um, every day I write for about 15 to 20 minutes in a memoir, you know, about what I'm learning, what I'm going through, the struggles and challenges. And then, uh, you know, the victories as well, because I do do some gratitude stuff in there. But also as I read things, I'm re I'm writing what I'm learning and how it applies, you know, to my life, whether it be stoicism or the Bible or, you know, another book uh, and I'm capturing all that. Right. And I print them all out and I have them in binders right here. And I've been doing that for over a year now. Um, that way tomorrow, if I walk outside and I get hit by a bus or a random airplane that falls from the sky, um, because it could happen at any moment, my kids could be without a father and they're never going to know who, who I am except for, my parents, you know, my mother and through my wife and that's it. Those are the only two people who are ever going to be able to tell my story. And so I've begun to document that process and there's things that they do, you know, um, that remind me of things that I've gone through and I'll write about that. You know, I've began to capture those moments and memories and what I learned from that and why I'm reflecting on it today, you know, and the circumstances around all that. So uh, that's the greatest gift that I could ever give to them. It's not about how much money or how many hugs or how many other things it's to give them that. Right. I mean, obviously hugs and things like that are important physical connection, but you know um, you know, the rest of it doesn't matter unless, you know, I give them what I have received back, you know, uh, and that's what I'm trying to do. So. Hey everyone, thank you for being a listener. 
I hope that you loved this episode. If you do, would you consider posting a review online? This helps continue providing great episodes and helps keep potential listeners to make confident decisions about listening to this podcast over other ones. And I want to thank you in advance for your review and for being a preferred listener. So check out this review by Jordan Gross, who recently said, This podcast is awesome because the host really cares about his guest. It is so evident that he takes great time and pride into getting ready for these interviews. Thank you, Jordan, for your wonderful review. I absolutely do love that. And because you haven't said it, I'm going to say it. What you're talking about there is legacy, which is something that yeah. you gifted to me probably <laughs> two and a half years ago. It's something I wasn't yeah. on my radar. Yeah. And the part that we often get messed up in life is that family is our legacy, not what we do. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. we do on this earth is important. Mm-hmm. It has impact. But what we leave behind is 10 mm-hmm. times more important. And it's that flip that will change everything. Because then you're not your life isn't measured in the time you're here. It's measured in decades and centuries. Mm-hmm based on how many people you were able to touch and how many uh-huh. people remember, like, yeah. this is who Kirby Ingalls was, and this is why he lived, like, 200 years in the future that they might be recalling from the wisdom of Kirby Ingalls, from a person. Yeah. And it's it's well beyond who you are. Here yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. I mean, yeah, you know, and that's where I say, I, I like to say to a lot of people, like, that's that's why there's not very many third or fourth generation family businesses in in this country anymore um because we lose connection with that generation why they started that what was the vision you know and you could say that's the challenge with christianity today is that you know and and faith is that we have lost connection with that right you know and there's a lot of folks that it is the here and the now and you know what's in front of me is important and uh, you know, I, I just, you know, that has always been important to me. And I know that in three or four generations, you know, um, I'm probably not going to meet that fourth generation. Probably not. Uh, maybe, but probably not. Uh, and there's, and, and they're going to be so young, right? Um, they're not even going to know who I am and they're not even going to remember. They might see some photographs or something at some point, you know, where I was holding them or something when they were tiny babies. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that some of that will translate down. They're not going to be a guy like me who goes back in history and researches his family to understand the challenges they came from, you know, migrating from Scotland into Ireland, going to Great Britain, our own side of a revolution, crosses the water to America before the, it was even a country and it was just colonies. And then forging forward and being some of the first white settlers west of the Allegheny Mountains, you know, and then eventually landing in the Midwest. You know, nobody knows that. And then to go in and research, like, what are these Scots-Irish people all about, right? You know, and what, how they contributed to this country? My kids don't know that, you know, they will never know that unless I give them that, right? Because I've taken the time to research that. And maybe, you know, neither one of them, you know, all four or five of them may not spend the time to want to figure that out. But it's up to me to tell those stories. And that's one of the things I did learn, you know, growing up um, as I reflect back on my grandfather and his brothers and sisters, because he had 14. Um, they told me stories of their family members uh, and they kept their memories alive. And that's how I knew I had two family members that served in the Civil War. And one died in a prisoner of war camp in the South, you know, uh, who fought for the Union. Um, and so 
you know, a lot of that stuff had purpose and meaning. It was importance, you know, and when we tell those stories, those folks were like Titans. They were giants, you know, um, the pillars of the community. And uh, I really just drew a, a fond appreciation of all that, right? These are legends. And, and to me, at least, I could care less about Clark Kent and Superman, Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man, like people care about today, you know, the Fantastic Four. People freak out about that stuff. I'm like, no, tell me stories about how people have overcome real stories about real people, you know, just ordinary people just doing amazing things. And so like I was watching a thing about the Dust Bowl the other day and I was just you know, that to me are powerful stories, not, you know, watching something on TV that's made for watching some uh, NFL player take a knee. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I just, that stuff doesn't, I don't care about that. I don't, you know, that, and maybe, 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 maybe that'll mean something in 40 or 50 or 60 years, but you know, people that had nothing, right. Nothing. And they had nothing and they took a chance and, you know, they said, Hey, we're going to go to Illinois and we're going to establish a farm, you know, from the Ohio Valley. And that's what they did. Um, you know, it's just stuff like that. You know, I just, it's, it's really powerful, you know, to understand like my family was here before the American revolution war started a farm, you know, and there's a whole history about that. Actually a movie about it called follow the river. That was my family, um, where a couple, uh, members had been abducted by native Americans and were captured and taken, you know, into the, into Kentucky and eventually they escaped and found their way back, you know, almost seven, eight years later. And the farm actually still sits there. It's the Ingalls farm. It was established in 1747. So just to be able to go there, right. Walk on that ground, meet my ancestors and, you know, and, and shake the guy's hand that's still keeping it in the family and running um, in the way it was pre-colonial times. Uh, it's just amazing, you know, and, and you just really do develop an appreciation of, who's come this point and then you know when you get to a point like you know uh, what's this life all about you're like yeah i have to move the needle forward it's up to me to progress and, and to you know get my family to the next stage um and there's no quit there's fight you know resilience and that's that's really what a lot of that means to me so i love that answer and it's an invitation to the depth of, of your soul of how <laughs> how far you've really gone back in time because mm. I mean, there, there is so many wisdom moments that you can mm. easily Google in your database mm. for yeah. when your kids have a problem and they're 15 <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, yeah. I don't know how to deal with this dad. And then you're yeah. like, let me tell you about 1845. Yeah. And right. like, it'll be that, uh, those kind of stories that they always remember you by. So I'm positive we could keep going, but I don't want to leave your episode without your famous three questions. Yeah. So, Let's close into the rapid fire round here of what is your true definition of true success? Yeah. So this is good. Um, I pretty much say most of it, most of the time I tell people what it's not, right. It's not being a bestseller, you know, not selling 10 million copies. It's not, you know, becoming a millionaire. It's not any of those things. Uh, True success for me is putting, and I'm going to steal this from a guy named Brandon DeWitt, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, he passed away from his battle with stage five cancer. And when I was at Patriot Boot Camp uh, back in 2018, I got to hear him speak. We were at his company as a co-founder of MX Technology in Salt Lake City, Utah, in Lehigh. And uh, he confirmed what true success was uh, for me. And it's more of a statement, but it's purpose over profit. Uh, 
I, you know, and, and that's what, you know, it's, am I following my true purpose in life? Am I doing the things that I'm passionate about that I think I'm making a difference in? And can I get up every day knowing that, you know, I'm going to make a difference in the world, at least in one person's life. It doesn't have to be my family members or anybody like that. But, you know, uh, by the end of the day, I know that I have touched and impacted somebody and they're better for it. And for me, that's what true purpose is. It's knowing that every day when I get up that I'm going to be able to do that. And then going to bed at night thinking like, hey, I have, I have done that. I have achieved what I've set out to do today. Everything else doesn't matter. So... I absolutely love that answer. And I'm going to take your second question of where will we see you in 10 to 20 years? I'm going to give a slight twist and it's either going to screw you or it's going to give you more work. <laughs> so you've been podcasting on the true success podcast for now a mm hundred -hmm. episodes. Mm -hmm. What new podcast do you feel like your voice is being prepared for that you haven't yet started? Yeah. Uh, I think you already know the answer to this. So I really do want to and it has never left my conscience since we first talked about it when you said Kirby when are you going to start your podcast and then I heard um Mr. Jackson I can't think of his first name off the top of my head um talking at military influencer conference um what's his name uh, Dave Jackson Dave Jackson he said if you're going to start a podcast just start a pod or no you're, you're thinking about starting a podcast just start a podcast there's certain words and phrases that just ring true in your head. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, no. Like I told you about Brandon Witt, purpose over profit. They're just little nuggets, right? Little altar moments in your life. And it's like, oh, here we go. You know, and when he said that, I knew, right? And then we, when we talked, I said, I really want to start this national conversation about, you know, fatherless boys and men, right? I, I There's some organizations out there, um, but nobody's really, you know, have grabbed the hold of it, right? Uh, there's a guy um, out there right now. He does dad talk today. Um, and uh, he has really, you know, started this father's rights movement and, and very admirable. Eric Carroll, he's uh, started from nothing and just like wanted to create a conversation. Now he's just created this entire movement of people, uh, has a lot of support. Uh, he's just doing some phenomenal things. And he's, just, he's like a thousand times growth in one year. Uh, just because he cared, right? And he gave people that time and opportunity and that attention. So uh, I know that uh, I'm probably comparing myself to him right now, but uh, eventually I would like to, you know, be able to do that. Maybe not at the same level of success he is because, you know, he's in an anomaly, but uh, uh, he called me up one day and said, I want to hear your story and I want you to tell it, you know, and I interviewed on his podcast one time. And so I've been following him ever since because, the guy just cares. He just has a huge heart. And so that's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to have that heart and just maybe not be the expert, but be that guy that opens up that conversation and allows people just to have that dialogue, right? Right, wrong, different. You know, I don't really care just to have that dialogue and just to get people talking and thinking about it because really, you know, there's a challenge out there. Uh, I think the last article that I read said only 18% of couples are, are, are married, you know, and living in the household together. And that's like, and, and I don't know how true that data is. You know, last time I checked, it was about 32% of millennials were living, you know, the father was living with the family in the home. Uh, and that has a huge impact because I know that it impacts suicide, uh, alcohol, drug abuse. Look, I've, I've been, I, I've been all those stats and I escaped that. So I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, and I just know that there's a kid out there that needs, just needs to hear the conversation. Like there's hope. Uh, and to give them a little optimism and you know 
Uh, and it's it's just it's going to be a podcast about moral leadership and moral courage really and just just really have that that conversation about fatherless men and boys in the country uh whether i convert the true success into that or not i don't i don't know how that's going to work or if i do two podcasts but you know it's it's gonna happen i think you should be a two podcast kind of guy is that fellow (laughs) two podcast kind of guy it's overwhelming it's stressful but it is worth the ambition and the stress is different. The stress is more about just managing it versus doing it, which in the beginning before you start is like, uh, how do you even start this thing? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what this know is that doing a little bit. Of it, that's the easy yeah. part. Like, it's well, not I'm big doing a yeah. podcast. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I've been kind of converting it a little bit, right? So I've, you know, I used to just, you know, focus on business corporate, you know, because that's the industry I'm in coaching right now. But I've been slowly beginning to convert and, and focus and zero in better on who my guests are and the conversations that I'm starting to have, especially on the monologue. So you'll start to see in the next year that begin to change and you know develop. And so I don't know how that direction is going to go yet, but uh, I mean, it's already starting to move that way uh, because this past year um, I've really, it's been itching at me and it's been on my brain and uh, I just, uh, part of it says that I just don't want to shut down the true success podcast to focus on this. But another part of me says, I don't want to do both. Right. Cause I still have to focus on family. So. And podcasting is a vehicle for growth. And that's how I've kind of framed my yeah. podcast as well. That like they're very selfish exercises in understanding the power of your voice and conversations. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to let go of the good to embrace the great. And I'm going to go one step further for you because as you were mm-hmm. describing this dad podcast. And I don't know if I did this or what I came up with mm-hmm. when we were together at MIC. What I heard just now was a podcast called Finding Dad, stories mm-hmm. of men looking for dads to call dad. Because mm-hmm. dad is a verb that shows up in people's yeah. life. It doesn't have to be biological. No. So no. Finding Dad could really be a podcast of where you share other stories yeah. of other men looking for that person to call yeah. dad in their life, whether it be biological or someone that yeah. just shows up. And if that wouldn't be the lighthouse for other people on how they did it and accepting it, but then inviting the process to take fold, like finding dad, a new podcast by Kirby Ingalls. Yeah, that could be it, man. That could be it. So yeah, I know that, like you said, you're right because there's about four or five men in my life that came through at different periods. Those were those altar moments again, where, um, you know, if it wasn't for them, I would have gone the other way and I might not be sitting here today. I mean, and I'm not, I like literally, I mean, like not sitting here today, like in this capacity, I mean, I might not be physically on this earth. I might be in the ground. And so, uh, it, it is, I am, I'm extremely grateful for that. And I've always said, you know, uh, boys, you know, may might not have the biological father in life because that's going to be almost nearly impossible to fix. Right. Um, that it's, it's, a, it's just an insurmountable task, right? That takes even if it's there, doesn't make it better. Right. Yeah, and you're right. And they may not even, you know, that biological father might be there, just non-existent. I've heard people tell me that too. I'm like, my dad was always around, but he was never present. You know, he was off somewhere else doing something else or just sitting in his recliner watching TV and football and stuff. Um, and he never participated with me. And that hurts my heart, you know, to know that. But, you know, it's just a healthy, supportive male role model. That's all it takes. And, you know, and, and that's no. why I think Finding Dad would be oh. a perfect, uh, gentle podcast to dive into because it's the story of your life and it's the yeah. invitation that every fatherless man is looking for, whether it be mm-hmm. dad got divorced and just got doubled down on work and never came back to pick up his family or his kids. Like Finding Dad could be that second vehicle for your voice that you're preparing yourself for with the true success. 
Um, and I don't know whether you're going to answer for your final question, but if you could pick a pond, maybe it's tied to your podcast, but if you could pick a pond to drop a rock in and create a ripple, where would that be? And what would you hope it would change when it reaches the shores? Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing this business for a long time. Um, you know, at least the follows thing and, uh, supporting and, in, in, you know, the background and, and doing some other things financially and, you know, volunteer work, stuff like that through CASA, uh, fathers in the field, just different organizations. Um, and, uh, you know, volunteering in a rape crisis center, uh, or, or not rape, uh, pregnancy crisis center with, uh, men who had been court appointed to, uh, go to, parenting classes right and model what good parenting is so i've done a lot of things like that and just trying to help uh and then you know obviously i've been you know a part of the military for 26 and a half years and i'm looking you know for about 30 or 40 acres in the kansas city region um, a piece of parcel land that i can share with other people it goes back to that three-day mm -hmm. effect getting people there getting people out of their element and just getting them there, getting the right training, getting the right people in front of them to inspire them, to help them, uh, whether that, you know, and it'll be a combination of several things because I have multiple passions, but, you know, caring for those veterans, you know, that need help. And then also, you know, those fatherless boys and men, and, you know, maybe, maybe those turn into marriage retreats, you know, maybe those turn into some other things. Right. Um, because, you know, once you get yourself in order, like I did, then obviously you got to figure out how to have a relationship with somebody. Once you figure out how to have a relationship with yourself and, you know, it'll, it'll morph, right. It'll evolve, but that's, you know, I really want to bring those two communities together and probably, you know, when we do this, right. When we start this, you know, we'll have a farm, you know, my wife's an animal lover, right. So we're going to have recording kennels and, you know, a barnyard <laughs> of animals, but, uh, because we also love pets. Um, you know, a lot of things what we'll do is, is we'll look to hire those people in the community, you know, single mothers, you know, men who grew up without a father or boys that don't have a father, bring them in, you know, help Second them chance employment economically. Yeah. Right. Those veterans who are struggling with post-traumatic stress that somebody can identify and understand, right. You know, what they're going through um and know that hey there may be days where they just can't show up to work because they're just having a mental health day you know and not you know be upset with them about it and just be able to come alongside them and say hey today's gonna be a rough day so let's spend some time together just me and you let's go do something you know i mean just you know i that's what i really want to do i just really want to have that kind of impact and that, like i said you know uh and i took that away from like prison or second uh, uh, employment opportunities right because there's a lot of men in prison that have you know have changed and converted and transformed their lives. And that's what this is about. It's about transforming people's lives. So, um, and I just hope that, that, you know, just having a little piece of parcel, a little piece of dirt in the world, you know, um, that God has provided us and I can share that with other people. So. Well, you guys heard it first here. Kirby declared that he's going to open the finding dad ranch LLC <laughs> and also finding healing ranch LLC Just two new business ventures and maybe even the boarding kennel LLC for yeah. his wife's hobbies yeah. to keep track of all the the dogs in the area that she yeah. wants to entertain. Yeah. So rescue. Yeah. Kirby, I really appreciate the opportunity for having this guiding this conversation with you and taking you through your life, not really knowing where you were going to go with a lot of different areas, but just going on my instinct. And as you know, my interview tactic is to interview the Irish pinnets 
which is what Marines call the loose threads in our uniform. And it's those Irish pennants that when I pull those, that's where the gold is. And you did not disappoint. My spider sense led me right to where we needed to go. So I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and hear a deeper version of your story. No, I appreciate it, Ben. Thank you for coming on here and doing this and, uh, you know, ripping the scabs off and uh, showing who I am and, you know, uh, just allowing me to have this opportunity. So. Now it's up to you to put all this information into action. Please check out the links in the show notes, download a copy of the transcript, and smash that subscribe button. Leave a comment or review on your favorite podcast platform. Now go out and carry this story forward. My name is Kirby Ingalls. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Honor your service to others and love the impact that you are creating. You've been listening to the True Success Podcast. I'll see you next time.